6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Till he be taken out of the way. The be taken, it's in the aorist tense, it's a definite event. It's not a gradual trend thing. No, no, it's a specific event. Now, the subjunctive mode leaves the time undetermined. We don't know when that's going to be. Taken out of the way. Now, by the way, the word there is mesos, the middle, out of the midst. It's not out of the way, it's out of the midst. He's in the middle of what? Where is the restrainer right now? Where is the restrainer right now? Anyone? What? In us. Exactly right. The thing that Paul tries to get across, especially in the, in the Ephesians, is the incredible benefit we have. He knew about the Holy Spirit. He's a well-trained Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament. But there, the Holy Spirit came and went as he pleased. What blew Paul away, and he tried to get across to us how unique and how precious that is, is that the Holy Spirit's given to us without repentance, and it's, it's uh, indwelling in us. That blew, and, he, and Paul is explaining all that. We, un, we don't understand his answer because we don't understand the question. Now, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. What does that tell us about the restrainer? It's a person. It's not a force or some principle. No, no. It's a person. Okay? He. See, the neuter participle of verse 6, which is required by the grammar for the word spirit, has been replaced by the masculine participle, the one restraining, he. Now, suggestions in, in the literature, you'll find people say, well, the restrainer is the, the Roman emperors. I don't think so. The Roman Empire itself, or human government generally. Government, the government doesn't restrain sin, it promotes sin. Because the government grows on, on social problems. That gives them an excuse to get more power. And how do you get social problems? By sin. So promoting sin, that it, it may sound strange, but that's the loop. And I, I've been through that. Some say it's Paul. Paul didn't restrain sin. Satan certain doesn't. Some say Elijah, Michael, province of God, so forth. The restrainer. Only God has ever restrained sin. So this is going to be God. Yes, God clearly, but God the Holy Spirit. Genesis 6.3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh. It was God's hedge that restrained Satan in Job, chapter 1 and 2. What restrained Job? God did, with the hedge around Job and so forth. It's always the Holy Spirit who restrains. You go through the whole Scripture, you'll never find sin being restrained by anything but, but, but an agency of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 50, uh, 59, 19 is an example. The Spirit of the Lord shall restrain him. And that's very, there's passages equivalent all through the Scripture. So the restrainer is a person, it's a he, it's the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit assumed a special relationship to the church as its indweller. 
That's what makes the church different. That's why Jesus could say of John the Baptist, no man born of woman is greater than John. Wow, that's pretty wild. But he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Does that mean John's not in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. He's the kingdom of God, but he's not, he's, he's the last of the Old Testament, is what Jesus goes on to say a few verses later. So after the completion of his work in the church, he will resume the relationship to mankind which he had before Pentecost. When the church is raptured, that era for the Holy Spirit is now over, but he's not finished. He's going to continue the same way he did before the church in the Old Testament. I often get questions uh, on these interviews and stuff, is, uh, you know, uh, are, uh, how are people saved after the rapture? By the Holy Spirit. The fact that he, he's not indwelling them is the issue. See, we don't appreciate how distinctive we are, the power that resides within each of us. Now, the Greek word for spirit is neuter. That's why it's neuter in verse 6. But the personality of the restrainer in verse 7 is masculine. And, and grammatically, so shuts up that way, and of course, all through New Testament. We, we know all you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He loves you. We know the Father loves you, right? We know the Son loves you, right? He went to death for you. Did you know the Holy Spirit loves you? Because you can't grieve someone who doesn't love you. And you're ordered to grieve not the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve somebody who doesn't love you. So there are three prerequisite conditions still today that haven't happened. The apostasy had not yet come. I've got a question mark that I think it's pretty much upon us. The Spirit of God hath not been taken away, and the man of sin is not yet revealed. Therefore, has the day of the Lord started yet? Anyone? No. Good for you. So let's go on. Verse 8. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. You may not do it right then, but that's the destiny of the one. See, that then, the, then shall that wicked one be revealed. And then he just tags the ultimate destiny of that one, so you don't mistake who he is. Doesn't mean he happens when he's first revealed to get destroyed, but he will, he will be subsequently, all right? And then... That emphatically asserts that the career of the lawless one will run its course following the removal of the restrainer. Restrainer's removed, and then. Did you get the sequencing there? I'll show you that in the chart here in a minute, but see, the career of the lawless one, lawless one will run its course following the removal of the restrainer. The restrainer has to be removed before the man of sin can be revealed. Don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. He won't be revealed until we're out of here. We'll watch it from the mezzanine. Don't waste your time. We don't look for him. We look for the coming king. But his final doom, of course, is asserted here. You know, it's very interesting to me that we never anywhere that I know of in the Scripture are instructed to look for the rising up of the sinister personage who occupies such a... He occupies a huge space in prophecy. All kinds of prophecy. He's got 33 different titles in the Old Testament. He's got 13 titles in the New Testament. The Bible is full of all about this fault, the, we got, the one we choose to call the Antichrist. He's got all these different labels. Nowhere are we instructed to watch for him, look out for that guy. Not at all. Yeah, never. That's, I think that's interesting. I don't know why people get so fixated on him. We're not told to. Don't worry about him. He's not going to be around while we're here. 
If he's around when you're there, you got another problem, buddy. Okay. The spirit, breath of his mouth, the epiphany, the shining forth of his presence is going to destroy the bright. Now let's hear it. Let's give you a little chart, and you may want to jot this down. It may be helpful. Okay. The issue is the day of the Lord. They think the day of the Lord has come, and Paul is, this whole epistle is a refutation of that. Okay, what has to precede? Well, verse 3 said, For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Okay, so that's up here up front somewhere. And then verse 7 said, Now he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. So we have apostasy. We have the restrainer being removed, right? And then verse 8 says, And then keyword, and then shall that wicked one be revealed. So what's the sequence? Apostasy, the restrainer removed in his containers, that's us. <laughs> the man of sin is then revealed, and that ushers in the day of the Lord. Are we together? Okay. That little chart may be helpful. Remember the verses, because you can nail it down. Don't be, if, you, if you get that pinned down, everything else and obviously, the restrainer move is, 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 is synchronous with the, the harpazo, the rapture of the church. Okay? Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's a scary verse, by the way. Speaking of the Antichrist, or whatever you want to call him, man of sin, son of perdition, so on, whose coming is after the working of Satan with what? All power and signs and lying wonders. These three terms are a comprehensive description of miracles. Power denotes the cause of the miracle, the inherent power producing it. Dunamis, power. Signs, they point to the significance lying behind the miracles. And wonders indicates the abnormal nature, the astonishment they produce. These are the same three terms that are used of Christ in the Gospels. Not lying wonders, but certainly wonders. Okay. But this is important. Power of Satan. Signs of Satan. And lie, wonders that lie. We're going to talk more about that in a minute here. These three terms are used to designate the miracles of Christ in Acts 2.22. And the miracles of the apostolic church in Hebrews 2.4. Now Satan is a liar by nature. We know from John 8.44. Jesus called him that. And he's a liar to whom or on whom? Them that perish. Them that perish. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. We're talking about the unsaved. They that perish. They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In them that perish. Their cause for perishing lies within themselves. The rejection of God's provision. Some writers like to point out there's no one going to be in hell for their sin. They'll be in hell for rejecting the provision God has made for their sin. Ooh. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's not a lie, by the way. Translate that in your Bible. It's the lie. I'll explain it in a minute. See, God uses their choice of evil as the very instrument to punish their sin. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. And he shall be holden with the cords of his own sins. Now, the lie, that term is probably a lie in your Bible. It's 
Pitsuidae. Definite article, date of neuter, singular. It's the lie. It's a specific one. Effective errors tense, specific occasion. There is a specific lie that, w- that will trap them. Where do they get that, that God will send them this delusion. Now this verse has a... And, and, and we could go and spend a lot of time trying to guess what lie that is. Some people say, well, it's the lie of evolution that underlies our whole culture, and it's certainly a key lie. That's a possibility. But um, th- I think the, the, the Greek here implies a very specific lie that's going to co- trip them up, whatever that might be. Now, there was a day many, many years ago that I came to the conclusion I knew what the lie was. From my study, I knew what the lie was. But I also realized that if I was right, I couldn't tell you because I would be preaching Satan's gospel. You follow me? So everybody says, well, you're probably not right, but tell us anyway. <laughs> so I've stopped doing that because it's not fruitful anyway, so let's go on. But it's interesting, there's a specific thing. Now, some feel that this very verse is a, ref- a refutation of the strategy of waiting until after the rapture to accept Christ. Some say, well, I'll, I'll let you guys do it, but when the rapture occurs, then I'll get serious about my... No, 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 because God will send them, those that, ones that are perishing, strong delusion. The Left Behind series is based on the idea that after the rapture, you got another chance. There are some that argue, and there's diff- good scholars with different views on this, don't misunderstand me. They argue that if you have had a chance to accept Christ and not accepted it, you're going to be subject to a strong delusion. If you somehow haven't been confronted with Christ and the rapture takes place, yes, you may have a chance. But the problem is that God hears that for this cause, God will send them strong, who? The, those perish, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So people who miss the rapture are going to be subject to this widespread, effective deception. Why? That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Watch out for that one. Watch out for having pleasure in righteousness. There's, there's scriptures about that. Romans 1, near the end. Gets all these people and those that had pleasure in those that did. That they all might be damned who believed in not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The willful rejection of truth has resulted in the love of evil. Evil had become their good. That's exactly what Isaiah 5, verse 20 and 20, is one of the uh, six woes of Isaiah 5. People say, where is the United States in prophecy? Isaiah 5. <laughs> Let them read it. They just know what I mean here. Those that put good for evil and evil for good. And so forth. Now, have you really trusted Christ? I won't ask for a show of hands, but just think about it. Have you really trusted Christ? Or are you vulnerable for this deception? Do you want to trust Christ before the rapture? If you haven't trusted Christ, you may be vulnerable to this deception that God will vulnerable to being deceived. The time to accept Christ is now, not after the rapture. That's the real point of it all. So the question the other one to think about here, will you or the church that you go to or however you want to put it, go through the great tribulation? There are many that believe they will. There are many that accuse us pre-tribbers as adopting that view to avoid the pain of the great tribulation. That's silly, of course, for a lot of reasons. But 
that's a key point. And you're going to find a lot of people that are serious Bible buffs that are mid-trib or post-trib, as the term goes. In other words, they believe they were they're, they're somehow during the 70th week of Daniel. Now, this doesn't mean, just because we can prove, I think, from the Scripture, that we will not go through that specific period of time called the Great Tribulation, labeled by Jesus Christ, the Great Tribulation, labeled by Jeremiah, the time of Jacob's trouble, etc. It's a very specific, has a very precise definition. That doesn't mean that we won't experience persecution. In fact, Jesus promised we would. This is a particularly American malady. But where do we get the arrogance to assume that we're going to, be, we're going to skip what most of the body of Christ in most of the world for most of the last 2,000 years has had to endure? It's called persecution or tribulation with a small t, if you will. Indeed. You know how they treated Christ? They certainly won't treat his followers any less. So understand that. And there are people in this room that may be extended the privilege of dying for Christ. And fill in the blank with whatever else you can imagine. But Paul continues, verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. We are bound to give thanks. You know, that's an echo of the chapter 1, verse 3. We have an obligation to give thanks. We are bound to give thanks. For what? For you guys. Praise God. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you. Now here we've got a good excuse to go into a whole fate versus predestination thing. I'll spare you that this time. We sort of trample that to death in our study of the book of Romans. So you can go through your notes for that if you like. But God hath, when did God first dealing with you, start dealing with you? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he had you on his mind. And he's chosen you to salvation. See, this entire statement has God as its subject, by the way, and it's made emphatic by, having, by being placed after the verb and object. That's the Greek structure for extreme emphasis. So God is emphasized by being after the, the verb and, uh, and object. That sounds backwards to us. And it's the middle voice of the verb. He chose you for himself. It's not active voice or passive voice. It's the middle voice. It's eros indicative. That's a choice as a past fact. Entirely of divine initiative. You, you contributed nothing to that. He chose you. Praise God. He paid the price on the cross. Praise God. You had very little to do with that. And your security is in his hands, as he points out in John 10 and elsewhere. And I love my, my, my Walter Martinism that I like to use. If you can lose your salvation, I have a new name for God. Butterfingers. Because your security is in his hands. Not my favor. If it was in my hands, I could, I'd mess it up. No, it's in his hands. I know in whom I believe that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Salvation, okay, he's chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. You know, it's astonishing to see some pastors, fortunately not many, but some pastors, who are upset about the book we wrote because we imply that sanctification is a work in progress. 
they cling to words, some vocabulary issues. I won't go down that path. But the point is, no, we're, we're salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. It's a process. Rodemacher always, always came in and said, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And he said that that way to just to confuse the students, because all three are true. I've been saved, it's justification, it was on a cross 2,000 years ago. Done deal. I can't add to it. He did it all. Justification. Present tense. Sanctification. I'm being sanctified by the, you know, by the Spirit. And he's not finished yet. Many of you have noticed that. That I'm not finished yet. <laughs> Future. Tense of salvation. Glorification. The new bodies and all of that. First is separation from the penalty of sin. This is separation from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit resides in you and that's enormous in terms of its significance. Future is separation from the very present sin. Separation from the penalty, separation from the power of sin, separation from the very presence of sin, yet future. Okay. So sanctification for us. John 16 talks about it, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit does convict, you know. I'm always reminded, you know, you have a, sometimes you go to conference and so forth, and someone will come up and say, are those seats saved? I love to say, no, they're not even under conviction yet. <laughs> Makes a point. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. You're sealed by Him, 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere. And it's one body, 1 6 and 9 and so forth. We're sinners but justified. Philippians 1 6. And what He starts, He finishes, praise God. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Brethren, stand firm. What does he mean? Be steadfast. Be strong. Now, the word traditions can have many meanings. It can be traditions of the elders. The rabbis had their oral traditions. That led to harmful developments if they're not anchored in the Word of God. Traditions of men. They're spurious of human origin, Colossians 2.8. Or they can be scriptural and God-given. What is new is not true, and what is true is not new, one could argue. Okay. He says, our epistle, Paul says. Again. Whose? Paul's. The word eschatology, study of the end times. See, the rapture is not a doctrine to argue about. It's a doctrine to live. Some believe he's coming after the tribulation. Praise God. They have their view, okay. Some believe he's coming before the tribulation. Some believe he's coming during the tribulation. We don't happen to hold that view. We'll explain it to them on the way up. It's not a problem. How does your interpretation affect your life? That's the key issue. Not whether you're Pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. That, how is that impacting your life? Does it do anything for you? If your view has no effect on your life, <laughs> then you might reconsider what you believe. Because it should be having an impact on your life. Let's continue verse 16. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, Establish you in every good word and work. Praise God. So next time, we have our last session in these epistles. It's a very brief little chapter, but you read first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I also encourage you to go through your notes, because if we may use some of our time to do a recap and put some things in perspective. 
But with that, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. 2 Thessalonians 2. Some technical Greek in there, but I think nothing that really escapes the, the translation, if it's done carefully. 1 Thessalonians tells us, introduces us to the harpazo. 2 Thessalonians really deals with the Antichrist and the post-rapture events and their sequence. The day of the Lord. Interesting times. The more we study prophecy, the more we discover things that are on our horizon but are after the rapture. Wow. What does that suggest to you? Not setting dates. In fact, every day that he tarries is another day for us to repair our own report cards before the mammoth seat of Christ. Every day that he tarries. Every day that he tarries gives us another day to do something for our coming king. All this talk about politics, this, that, and the other thing about the current government, all the, the, the mess that is getting worse and worse and worse and ma being made worse and worse and worse. Doesn't matter. It's going to usher in the biggest harvest of souls that, the, that we've ever seen on the planet Earth. People who have been a complacent, apathetic, are going to be desperately looking for serious answers to serious questions. And that's your opportunity for the king. We're not Republicans or Democrats, we're monarchists, and we want to find ways to serve. And what your big challenge is to find out what God is calling you to do. Every one of us in this room are called to something unique and something different. And the great adventure in life is to discover what that is. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us and guides us and feeds us. And we just thank you, Father, and empowers us. Father, we, we do pray that you would help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that you would help us to be more effective stewards of the opportunities that you bring across our path, that we might be more pleasing in your sight. As we commit ourselves this night into your hands, in the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Thessalonians. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.